got a little red felt ball cap. He is a fat, tired bike. Um, he's got a little striped shirt. Just imagine kind of like Opie Taylor. He has a paper route, and he goes uh, with his paper route money, collects on Saturday, and that's when he realizes that he's made a little profit. There's something that he wants to buy. He's been looking forward to buying this for a long time. He saved up his extra money. He goes down to the drugstore. In the back of the drugstore is an aisle. It's the only aisle that ever interests him. It has little, it has boxes of model cars. He finds the one that he's been looking at for weeks. It's a red Ford Mustang. Uh (laughs) And he buys it with his paper route money. And he cannot wait to go home and put this beautiful red Ford Mustang together. He gets the box. He goes home. He immediately opens the box. He throws the instructions aside. He starts putting it together. And he's working. He's doing really well. And, and it's going great until, until it isn't going great anymore. And then he's got pieces. He doesn't know what to do with them. He hasn't taken time to paint the thing yet. He's a little frustrated, and he starts to put it in a box. His grandpa comes over to visit. He says, say, show me that red Ford Mustang model that you put together. And he looks down at the ground, and his grandpa says, go get that for me. Let's take a look at that. So he goes, and he gets it, and his grandpa says, where are the instructions? He said, I don't know. He said... Okay, let's find the instructions. And so he is, Grandpa, working down the basement on a big table. They get the instructions out. Grandpa says, let's take it all apart, and let's start by painting the parts that need to be painted. And with meticulous care, his grandpa shows him how to follow every single number in the instructions so that in the end, the model car that he has looks like the picture on the box. Now, you know, I didn't come here to talk about Opie Taylor's model car. I came here because in front of us, we have the instructions for something beautiful. We actually have almost like step-by-step instructions for a beautiful marriage. Aren't you excited about that? Let's take a look at our Bibles in in Ephesians in chapter 5. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture that gives really clear practical instructions about how to have a beautiful marriage. And immediately it's going to talk about authority. Let's just get that out on the table right away. We're going to talk a little bit about authority first before we talk about anything else because the submission word has already come up. In verse 21 it says we're submitting one to another in the fear of the Lord. So now we have this on the table. We're going to talk about submission to authority. And the Bible is full of references to authority. As a matter of fact, the way it works is we want to be under God's authority. We want to do what God says. We know he's the one that created everything and he knows how everything works. So we want to have direction from the Lord. We want to obey God's authority. And what's interesting about that is that God rarely speaks audibly to people these days. He's spoken to us through his word. He's spoken to us through his son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. He's spoken to us through his word. 
He also communicates to us through delegated authorities. And that's why throughout the Bible, you see passages of Scripture that talk about this. Let me just give you, you know, one example of one. Romans chapter 13. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 13 about authority. Matter of fact, you can just turn there if you want to. Romans chapter 13 says this. Let every, it's chapter 13 verse 1. Let every, <laughs> you didn't turn. You're like, we'll let him do the heavy lifting today. All right, I'll just read it to you then. Just you relax. I'll read it. This won't hurt. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. There's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. And therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. This is serious language, right? Verse 3. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what's good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Or another way to say it is, if you want the beautiful picture that's on the box, you have to follow the instructions that God gives through his delegated authorities. That's what it says there in, in Romans in chapter 13. Listen to 1 Peter 2, uh, 13 through 16. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme, that must have been hard to write for Paul, Ugh, you know, or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but, a, but living as servants of God. If you want to be a servant of God, you want to be an example to the world, then you are obedient to God and to his delegated authorities. Isn't that interesting? And so we have an example of that here in the scriptures right away in the family. And the passage, you know, kind of the idea starting back in 18 about don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual sounds. And you give thanks to the Lord. You submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. And then it, says, it talks to the wives first. And it talks to the husbands. So to give you a little... Um, breakdown of the passage that we're going to study today, you can kind of see it in, in, in three parts. The one part's to the ladies, to the, to the wives in particular. There's a passage to the wives, and, and it's going to give direction, uh, instructions for a beautiful marriage to wives. Um, the second part, and that's in verses 22, through 20, 22 and 24. 22 through 24. And the second chunk that you're going to see is directions to husbands. You probably knew that was coming, right? And, and that would be in the next section there, um, it's directions to, you have wives 22 to 24, and then you have directions to husbands in 25 through 32. For some reason, there's more for him. Um, and then you have this summary of the picture, this beautiful picture of marriage that's summarized in verse 33. And, I, and what I would like to do is I, I'd like to, talk about those things and teach them from the Bible. And then I want to show you what happens when, when wives respect their husbands and husbands love their wives. What happens 
in, in the, the text is going to show us three very beautiful, powerful things that you definitely want in your life. So if you're married, this will be helpful to you. If, you're, if you'd like to be married, you may use this someday. If you know people who are married, this will be helpful. If you're not married, it applies to everybody. So nobody should not listen today, just so that you know. So directions to wives. Let's read it again in verses 22 through 24. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, is speaking directly to wives in, in, in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, be, should submit in everything to their husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. There's about three major instructions within that. What does that mean and what does that not mean would be important. So let me tell you three things that it means. And by the way, this isn't like a gloss. This isn't like, you know, sometimes people say, Oh, that seems a little hard, so I'm going to just not believe it. (laughs) Or it seems like a little bit unpopular, so I'm just going to ignore that part. Or maybe that was just like Paul's pen slipped a little bit right there. And so, but this is not a gloss. It's not a little error. And it's not a minor thing. It's in the context of all uh, being under authority, being under God's authority. And it's repeated a number of times in the New Testament. For instance, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18, Colossians 3 and verse 18, uh, 16 to 18 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms. You see the parallel here? The passage is kind of like the one that we're studying right now. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Through him, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Titus 2, verses 4 and 5 says, And so train young women to love their husbands and children, be self-controlled and pure, and workers at home and kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So there's a kind of a repetition and some additional stuff is added there. Well, so what it says in 1 Peter, again, I'm just trying to demonstrate that what we're looking at today shouldn't be quickly dismissed because it's sometimes hard for us to understand or because it's been terribly abused. It is what God's word teaches repeatedly. This is uh, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful, pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair and putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. And likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they're heirs with you of the grace of life. 
that your prayers will not be hindered. As you can imagine, our world today has rejected God's word. And the picture of what they have produced is not pretty. It's not beautiful. And so it would be good for God's people to sit at God's feet and say, speak to me, help me to understand what this is, and help me to understand what this isn't. Three things that it is. Wives should have a spirit of submission to delegated authority. That's what, as, as to the Lord. That's what it says in verse 23, as to the Lord. So in the same sense that we, that we have a spirit of submission to the Lord, this is the kind of spirit that a woman should have in a marriage, a wife should have in a marriage. Second, a wife should see her husband as her head, as the church sees Christ as her head. That's what verse 23 says very specifically. Let's just read it again. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, which is his body, and is himself its Savior. Question, is Jesus the head of the church, yes or no? Is it good that Jesus is the head of the church? And what Paul is saying, and the Holy Spirit has inspired Paul to say is, in the way that Jesus is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the wife. So, so that, that's a significant language there. Second thing. Third thing. And by the way, in 1 Corinthians eleven three, it says, I want you to know the head of every man is Christ. So Christ is the head of a man. The head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Did Christ have a head? Yes, God was his head. Does a man have a head? Yes, Jesus is head. So in this, in, in this sense, in this sense of, of marriage, and this sense of delegated authority through God, in this sense of uh, taking responsibility for the home, this is what the scriptures are saying. And so, again, to repeat, the, the instruction of wives, three things. One, wives should have a spirit of submission to delegated authority as to the Lord. Two wives should see the husband as their head as the church sees Christ as her head and as a savior. And so it says in verse 23. And then verse 24, wives should submit to their husbands the way the church submits to Christ. Verse 24, notice what it says. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should be subject in everything to their husbands. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, what, what submission is not because there's been abuse, misunderstanding, and pain in this. So it's important that we understand it the way Jesus would want us to understand it. Super important. What is biblical submission not? <laughs> you guys are all being really quiet right now. That's kind of cute. What is biblical submission? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I'm glad that's him and not me right now. It's like, um, what is biblical submission not? First of all, it's not saying a husband is superior. It's not saying a husband is closer to God. It's not saying... A husband is to rule selfishly. Not at all. He's continually compared to Christ, but we'll get to him. And it's not saying that a woman has to submit to abuse. The scriptures are so clear that one can flee abuse. The scriptures are clear that one can appeal to civil authority and should appeal to civil authority. And someone told me this, and I wish I'd understood it a number of years ago. If a woman is abused, the first call should be 911. What does he mean by saying that? Dan Allender, who worked with abused women, said that. He said, because a crime has been committed, 
and she needs to appeal. People need to help her appeal to authorities. It's very serious to abuse someone. This is not, this is not what the Bible talked about when it talks about submission. It appeals to Christ being our savior and being our lover and being our head and being our God and being our source. We'll get, again, we'll get to that in a minute. Tim Keller went to be with the Lord recently. Um, in, a, in a book on marriage, he told the story that one day he came home from, he'd been working a lot and he came home from work and he couldn't find his wife. And she was out on the balcony. They live on Roosevelt Island in, in um, uh, New York City. And she was out on the balcony of the apartment and she was taking a hammer and breaking the china. And he said, whoa, 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 stop, what are you doing? Kid just taking a saucer and broke it with a hammer. He's reaching for another one, she's gonna break it with him. Stop, what are you doing? She said, I have no idea how to get through to you. <laughs> they, they decided a couple years earlier that they were gonna start a church and he, they had agreed that he was gonna spend extra time at church. And then after two years, he's gonna come back and then they, were, they would agree that he would spend more time with her. But the two years had passed and he'd gotten bad habits. So he was ignoring her needs. She says, I have, I have no way of, of getting your attention. So I'm breaking the china. He goes, okay, well stop. He said, I'm listening. And he, he course corrected what he did. And then after a while he said to her, were you gonna break all the china? And she said, no, I would never do that. I just had two extra saucers and I was trying to get your attention. <laughs> so the Bible doesn't say a woman can't be creative in, as a helper to her husband. The Bible doesn't say a woman can't speak to her husband. The Bible doesn't say a woman can't warn her husband. There are examples of all of this in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say that a woman isn't a valuable resource to her husband or helper, that he should... He shouldn't help her. Submission doesn't mean any of that stuff. The Bible says the husband is like Christ. It doesn't say he is Christ. So in a really helpful book on this, John Piper wrote What Submission Is Not, and I'll put it in his word, he, he, he did so well on this. He wrote this. I realize that at this point, no matter how I come at this, I'm treading on dangerous ground. I could be playing right into the hands of a selfish, small-minded, controlling husband who has no sense of the difference between enriching differences between he and his wife and moral and spiritual weaknesses or defects that should be changed in him. Such a man will likely distort what I'm saying into a mandate to control every facet of his wife's behavior. And the criterion of that, what he seeks to change, will be his own selfish desires, but he will cloak them in biblical language this is not what jesus is talking about what is it piper goes on and i think it's helpful he says john piper says submission is a divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts it's a disposition to follow the husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership it's an attitude that says, I delight for you to take initiative in our family, and I'm glad that you take responsibility for things and that you lead in love. I don't flourish in a relationship when you're passive, and I have to make sure the family works. So it's tied, like it says in verse 33, to respect. And this is why pastorally in our century, in our time, I tend to use the word respect more than obey. The obey is a very appropriate word. Submit is an appropriate word, but it's also... In our time and in our culture, it's been laced with a lot of toxic damage. 
And so we're not talking about that. We're talking about something very loving, something very kind, something t- taking leadership, taking responsibility. So those are the directions to the wives. Then there are directions to the husbands in verses 25 through 32. Husbands, love your wives. And by the way, this is antecedent to submit to one another in verse 21. So, you, so in other words, you could say, uh, you know, whenever you're in a relationship, you submit to one another. That's what verse 21 says, submitting one to another in the fear of the Lord. The other night, this is my only reference to you today, sweetheart, so be relaxed. I'm going to say only one. I wasn't going to do this today because I know that's hard for you. But Lois and I were going to go out to eat. We are just talking about where we're going to go out to eat. This is a conversation that we have regularly. And, and she said you, that thing like you can go wherever you want. And I told her where I wanted to go. And then she said, well, that would be just fine. Or we could go to Olive Garden. <laughs> so I only use myself as a good illustration. So obviously we went to Olive Garden and I was a great husband. And that's what happened. Um, she would have been <laughs> happy to go other places. But, but uh, that's what we did. Um, the, the Bible teaches husbands, let's, let's just keep reading here, the Bible, say, keep me out of trouble. Husband loves your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Yeah, I'm sorry, I, that's what I was saying. Verse 21 says, we're submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Then immediately says, wives, submit to your husbands. Then it says, husbands, love your wives. That doesn't mean why husbands never submit to their wives. If you have a brain, you submit regularly to your wife. Of course. <laughs> And she's, you, or you just could be like miserable or make her miserable. We submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. Here's how I understand this, and I think it's helpful. The word submit is used when it's talking to wives there. The, he reaches for a, a higher word even yet for the man, which inclu- the love includes submission. So there is that, that idea of the mutual submission. It's true. Anyway, let's keep reading. Um, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish and in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So you understand when we read these, this is a very high language. This is appealing to the highest thing any Christian could ever appeal to. He's pointing to Christ Jesus on the cross. And this is the picture he's giving to husbands. He's kind of saying about three things here. Husbands should love their wives with a sancti- in a sanctifying love, the way Jesus did. It's mysterious, but he says he's to cleanse with water by the word. Now, if you're a young, foolish uh, husband... You might think this means like you sit her down and you instruct her with your special Bible verses. But I would suggest you that would be a little bit like bathing a cat. It won't work well for you. 
What the Bible isn't teaching that you necessarily tell your wife when you know, hey, let me just give a little lady some instruction here from the Bible. It's appropriate to teach the Bible or to have conversations about the Bible. But the idea of, you know, like correcting her, sitting her down, correcting her with your Bible verses, that's a, it's actually kind of a misuse of the Bible. It's, it's, it's kind of cheating. It's, it's kind of a, the idea here is really clear when you see how Jesus did it. In the Gospel of John, it says that Jesus, though he wasn't impure, he sanctified himself by his exposure to the Word. And so, in other words, then he, this, this had the cleansing effect on the body, according to the Gospel of John. And that's what Paul's referring to here. Here's what it would look like, men, I think. You listen to the preaching of the Word. You are under God's authority when you read the Scriptures you read the scriptures to obey God and to follow God and to be a genuine Jesus follower and to love like Christ loved the church. And then that your life becomes an example, an instruction, a cleansing agent to everyone around you. And a man, a woman who has a man like that, she enjoys a cleansing effect of his life. And in another picture of that, a man may and I often say this if, if the, the the bible says that um, the man is the glory of god how's the man the glory of god in the idea that if i go like moses went into the presence of god and he glowed when he came away so you spend time with the lord and you become like him you have the radiance of god on you you spend time in the word you spend time in prayer you spend time in fellowship and devotion to the lord you spend time in intimacy with god and then when you come away from that People can tell, your wife can tell, your kids can tell. There's, this, there's, a, there's a godliness about you. And then this is a radiance to your wife. This is a brightness to her and to your children. Everyone benefits from that. Generations benefit from that. And this is what he's talking about. That a man would, would, would cleanse his own heart with the word and it would have that effect on the people. So husbands should love their wives with a love that sanctifies. Your love, the way that I love my wife, the way that you love your wife, you're married should have a sanctifying effect on her, but you're not bullying her into obeying God. Nothing like that. God doesn't do that to us. But it's a sanctifying influence. You're a quiet, steady, real, sanctifying influence, and you can't be a sanctifying influence on somebody else without being sanctified yourself. So you concentrate on yourself is the idea, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Husbands then should love their wives with a sanctifying love. That's what verse 25 through 27 are saying. And by the way, what I was referring to about Jesus is in John 17, 19, if you want to look that up. Then husbands should love their wives with a sacrificial love. And this is the big, this is kind of what's in blinking lights in this passage. Because every, every man recognizes, unless he's a, obsessed with the directions that were given to his wife, that he's being asked to love with a sacrificial love. And, and the example is of Jesus, of course. Let's, let's just read it again. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we're members of his body. Um, the, 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 then that, that's the third thing. So the two things are, it's a, he loves with a sanctifying love. He loves with a sacrificial love. And the third thing is, According to verse 30, he should leave the parents' authority and establish his own authority or household. 
So in other words, the, the authority thing is a little bit like I have, uh, I walked one of my daughters down the aisle and, and the, the young man had asked permission to marry her and Lois and I had given him our blessing. It wasn't a really hard decision. He's a good guy. So we walked, Holly, I'm talking about Holly right now. We walked her down the aisle, gave her to Jesse. He called me the night one night, many years later, and they were going through a very dark trial. And he said, I'm not sure what to do. What do you think I should do? And I said, I walked her down the aisle and I put her on your arm because I trust you. And I, I know you're wise and you're walking with the Lord, so I'm gonna trust you to make this decision. And I'm gonna pray for you and I'll never criticize you. Because they have an autonomous household. And I don't think that God was necessarily gonna to talk to me for her, but he was gonna to talk to him and her for her. And it's good for us to realize that God recognizes this autonomy, this household. And men, sometimes he's gonna give you a message through your wife. And ladies, sometimes he's gonna give you a message through your husband. And this is a beautiful way that he has created for us to show honor to each other and learn to listen carefully to each other because God might be helping us through them. And we've all experienced that. Husbands should leave the parents' authority and they should still be respectful to their parents, but they should establish their own household in their authority. So that brings us to verse 33, where again, you have the picture, the picture on the box. It's a simple summary of what it looks like when we submit to one another in the fear of the Lord, and when we honor one another, and we respect one another, and when we love in with a sacrificial love, Listen to what it says. So, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife she see that she respects her husband. I think the apex of this section is that verse. It, it's at the end. It's the summary at the end. It's the beautiful picture on the box. That what you have, what God intended, is for, uh, like the scriptures say, a husband to love his wife as himself. And for a wife to show respect to her husband. I know what you're probably thinking. Um, maybe if you're a lady, I, this is probably dangerous territory for me to say too much here, but if you're a lady or a wife, you might think that's hard. It's hard. Submit to a guy, I, I, mean, I know him really well. He's, he's imperfect, he's selfish, you know, and I have to respect him, admire him, follow his lead. That's hard. Huh? Imagine it is. But then the instructions that are given to a husband is like, you just have to not to do much. All you have to do is, you know, die. Um, lay down your life, like Jesus did. Well, then you have every right, gentlemen, to say, well, wait a minute, that, that's impossible. <laughs> you have every right to say, that's impossible, because it is. So, so it, it's a sense in which, if you allow me for rhetoric's sake, to say, what the wife is asked to do is hard. And what the, wife is, what the husband is asked to do is impossible. And neither of them could possibly do that unless they had divine help. And that is the point of the whole passage because it's using marriage to illustrate the, the, uh, the workings of the church and of Christ and the cross and the church. And then that's what you have when people follow the directions. And when they pick up the directions after they didn't follow the directions, 
when they make any attempt to follow the directions and give glory to God, then the picture starts to come together in beauty, and then we see what God had in mind, and the world sees what God has in mind. So before we move on, just a couple things. You know, I was talking to a dear lady who loved the Lord very, very much. I won't tell you who she was. She is a very sincere Christian lady. And, and she was telling me, we were at their, her home, and nobody in our church, this is uh, long ago and far away. Uh, and we were in her home, and she, and she was telling me about how she, she was an older woman, and she had a meeting with a young woman in the church, and she was teaching them about submission. And she just said to, to me, while she was fixing dinner on a Sunday, her husband was sitting over here in his recliner real quiet, and she was over here fixing, and she was saying, you know, I get this devotional, and I told her, you know, it's not easy to do, but, you know, this is what you do and why you do it. And her husband, real quietly, was reading the paper, and he says, the RV show is downtown. Just like he wasn't even listening to what she said. He just goes, there's an RV show downtown. And she's, yeah, uh-huh, she, yeah, right. Anyway, what I was saying was, and then she goes back into her speech about submission, and then a couple minutes later, she kind of took a breath, and her husband said, yeah, that, this is uh, going to be the last weekend for the RV show downtown. You know? And she's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Anyway, but anyway, what I was saying to the lady, then she went back, and then the third time he interrupted her, she says, listen, we are not going to the RV show, okay? <laughs> and I thought, I was like, did anybody see what just happened right there? Now, I, I use that as an illustration that I didn't really need to use at all. That submission is easier to talk about than it is to do. And loving your wife like Christ loved the church, that just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? But who in the room would say, I got that down. Anybody want to volunteer to tell us how that worked for you? You're the... And is your wife here? That's what I want to know. <laughs> is your wife here? And would she agree? Oh, yeah, this, this, this is, he's got that down. He totally laid down. Like, see what I'm saying? So here's, here's my practical piece for you that comes from this passage that I think is super helpful. I found it helpful. And that is this. When you look at a passage like this, the natural tendency is to look at, if you're a man, to look at it like, look what wives are supposed to do. And, how, and giving her a little score. I'd say she's about a seven on a scale of one to 10 right there. Right? And if you're a woman, I, I think you might have a tendency to go, well, when he loves me like Christ loves the church, and I'll think about maybe submitting to him. But until then, I'm not going to feel any particular obligation to do that. I mean, I've heard ladies say that before. Yeah, but that, that, that might be the thing. And that would be just the wrong thing to do because you wouldn't be following the instructions then, would you? You'd be kind of painting by number. You'd be making a big mistake. Here's what I tell couples, and I tell myself this a lot. Don't concentrate on your rights. Concentrate on your responsibilities. Don't think about what they're supposed to do. Don't even think about it. You just concentrate on what you're supposed to do because it's going to be a lifelong project. So I don't want to run that in the ground. Here's what happens when wives respect their husbands, when husbands love and cherish their wives. When wives help their husbands lead, and when husbands lovingly and lead and cherish their wives, three things, and the text shows them real clearly. One, together they welcome Jesus as the head of their home. That's what you really want. Who is the head of this home? There's, there's a little plaque. Have you seen this plaque? Jesus is the head of this home. He is the unseen guest at every meal. He is the silent listener to every conversation. Is Jesus the head of your home? Now, you've just been given instructions from the Bible about how Jesus can be the head of your home. 
And when you're walking down the street, and this, this sign says, you know, Ken is the head of this home. Bob is the head of this. You're, sorry if your name's Bob. I didn't mean to throw you under the bus here, you know. You know, so it's the head of this home. What if this sign said Jesus is the head of this home? You're like, I think I'm going to go in there. I want to sit on that porch for a while. Don't you think that'd be a good home to be raised in? Wouldn't that be a good place to go? I want Jesus to be ahead of my home. So I want to concentrate on loving my wife like Christ loved the church. And when you pick your instructions and you obey them in the power of the Holy Spirit, the only way you can do it, and then together, Jesus will be the head of your home. Jesus is the head of this home, the unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener to every conversation. Imagine what happens when Jesus is in complete charge of everything. When he's Lord, in this, and to repeat it, 1 Corinthians eleven three. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is the man, the head of Christ is God. Those are the instructions. The second thing that happens, one, together you welcome Jesus as the head of the home. You want that. Second, together it's a means of walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Let's not lose our place in the passage. The passage is talking about not being drunk with the wine, verse 18, but being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it immediately begins to list things that, that contribute to being filled with the Holy Spirit. So do you understand that submitted to one another in the fear of the Lord, a husband submitting or honoring or, 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 or admiring her husband, a husband cherishing and loving and submitting to his wife, that, though, that is a means of being filled with the Holy Spirit, according to the passage. You want Christ to be the head of your home? Follow the instructions. You want Christ, you want to be, do you want to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your home? Follow the instructions. Spurgeon said, and it sounds a lot like what, what we're saying here, when a home is ruled according to God's word, angels could be asked to stay with us and they would not find themselves out of their element. And if you're listening to me right now and you're feeling a little bit sad, maybe you raise your kids and you realize you kind of missed the, you, you kind of missed it a little bit, okay? You'd be in good company. I want to tell you as your pastor, one of the, one of the elders of the church, you can always pick up where you failed. And you can always start again today. God is so merciful. He can do miraculous things to reverse the sad things that happened in the past. Because he's God and he can do anything. So don't be discouraged. Just pick up from today and follow the directions. Edgar Guest was a favorite poet. Edgar Guest, when he was a little boy, he was from Detroit. And he worked, he got a, his first job was sweeping the floor at the Detroit Free Press. And he never took a job anywhere else. He became a poet for the Detroit Free Press. So if you're like I am, and one of your hobbies is to look at library sales, you can always find books around Michigan by Edgar Guest. And it was a number of years ago when we lived over on uh, Dogwood here. And 30 some years ago, we used to live in town. I went to the library and, and a library discard sale and I got a book by Edgar Guest. And I sat out in the front yard of the house and I read and my family was little. Lois and I, our family was little. This is what I read. God bless this house and all within it. Let no harsh spirit enter in it. Let none approach who would betray, none with a bitter word to say. Shield it from harm and sorrow's stain. Here let the children's laughter ring. 
grand that these friends from year to year would build their happiest memories here. God bless this house and those who keep it and the sweet oils of gladness steep it. Endow these walls with lasting wealth, the light of love, the glow of health, the palm of peace, the charm of mirth, good friends to gather round the hearth, and with each nightfall, perfect rest. Here let them live their happiest. God wants you to have a home like that. But you have to follow the instructions. Third thing that happens, Christ becomes the head of the home. We walk in the spirit. Third thing that happens is together, and this is what the whole passage is about, we powerfully demonstrate the gospel. Marriage is a powerful demonstration of the love of God and the sacrifice of God. It pictures the church. It pictures the cross. It, pic- it makes what's hidden plain. Notice this. The wife respects and reverences her husband like the church respects and reverences Christ. She models the bride of Christ. That's what it says in verses 22 through 24. It pictures the church. It pictures the cross. So the wife especially pictures the church and her loving submission to its head, Jesus. And in the home, ladies, maybe submission is very hard for you. And I'm sorry, I understand it, your husband is imperfect. We men are sinners and imperfect. And sometimes we make that hard. But, but you could console yourself in realizing that you're never a more beautiful representative of the bride of Christ than when you trust God in that. And it's not that you can't appeal or even flee if you have to. And men, you have an opportunity to picture the cross of Christ. A husband loves and nourishes and cherishes his wife like Christ loves and nourishes and cherishes the church's bride. Verses 25 through 29. I have sons-in-law. Every once in a while I have a conversation with them. Once I can. They're good, they're good men and I love them. And... Uh, Every once in a while, I talk with him and I'll say, thank you for cherishing my daughter, our daughter. Thank you for cherishing our daughter. Um, men, think about that. Just, just think about that. You probably stood in a public place one day and you made a vow before a holy God that you would cherish that woman. You probably only did that because you were young and foolish. You didn't realize what you were saying. But you made a vow before a holy God that you would cherish her. And you probably said, like Christ loved the church. So the only way you can do that is with the power of the Holy Spirit in you. And it's a lifelong opportunity we have. And it models the Christ of the bride. And then it also makes what's hidden plain. I love the passage. I love to read this in... in um, Weddings and stuff. It says this is the part I love to read. This is a great mystery. This is a great mystery. This is something you want to know about. When we do this, when we follow the directions, we reveal the mystery of God. We show what's hidden. We make it plain. The two are a unique, powerful oneness like Christ and the church are inseparably one. God's advanced truth or mystery is revealed in the word and then in our, in our lives. 
Now let's do two things as a result of this teaching. Let's obey and let's pray. Together for married couples. So imagine uh, there's a wedding and there's a young man that's trying to tie that unruly bow tie. And the door opens up and an old man walks in. He has a gift. It's wrapped in bright paper. With trembling hands, he hands the gift to the young man that's about to be married. Young man doesn't have to open it to know what it is. But respectfully, he slowly opens up the, the gift. And it's a beautiful model of a red Ford Mustang. He looks up at his grandfather. His grandfather looks at him. His grandfather says, you know, if you follow the, di- the directions, you get to enjoy something <coughs> very beautiful. <coughs> Glad you came today. Hope this has been helpful. You've seen a picture of the Lord Jesus and that you wanted.